0: And there was just this intuition in my mind to tell her mm. to call her baby's name. So I looked at her and I was like, call call your baby's name. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And, you know, the nurses and all that are trying to revive baby, shake her a little bit, you know, uh, rub her back, those types of things to get her to cough up. Baby's just just limp. And I was oh. like, call her name. And she calls her. I said, I need you to say it louder. And she screamed her baby's name. And that baby's life just... She just
1: woke up. Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast give it a review. Or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Project podcast. I am your host, Corey Deanna-Lewis. I have a great guest in the building with me today, uh, someone that uh, I've known for a little bit, you know, we've been in some rooms together for a couple of times, but finally been able to connect a couple of months ago uh, and just learn more about the work uh, that she is doing. I have Ms. Jasmine Brooks in the building with me today. Jasmine, thank you so much for being with me. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Just appreciate the opportunity.
1: Yes. So, you know, before we get into the conversation, can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself and what gets you up in the morning? Oh,
0: I love that question. So Jasmine Brooks, she, they, my work is centered around uh, full-spectrum doula work. I'm here to agitate us towards health equity. And part of that reality is supporting uh, families through their perinatal journey, uh, whether they are doing reproductive or fertility work, to having a baby, to lactating, those types of things. I'm also A um, third year doctoral student at Iowa State University. Um, My research is in human development and family studies, and I will be focused on um, centering our narratives around birth work and midwives, Black midwives, specifically reclamation of their traditional practice. What gets me up in the morning? I really practice a lot of gratitude uh, before I go to bed and I do a lot of gratitude in the morning um, just because, it's so, you know, life is life in um, a, a lot of people work. Right. So it's just a lot, a lot of energy transference. You know, folks really feel comfortable sharing their stories with me. And so mm-hmm. I really just feel like I'm doing purposeful work and just express gratitude for being a spirit on this earth that, you know, folks could connect with and feel supported by and just want to continue to be able to do that as well as take care of myself. Right. Cause I can't be right. giving and not uh, filling my cup back up. So just, just gratitude.
1: Yeah. Life be life and gratitude is, <laughs> is, is amazing. I love what you said. And I definitely, I want to get more into your doula work and everything you do, but you said something about agitating health equity. I I just I just love that. Or agitating towards health equity. I want to make sure I, I say it correctly. I just I, I love that so much. I would love for you to kind of go a little bit further with that. When when you say agitating, what what is that what is health equity and doing that work? What does that mean to you?
0: Yeah i i I think I think about in a couple of ways. Right. I start with my privilege. I am a cisgendered woman who is married to a cisgendered male. Um, I'm middle class. And I also think about like my other identities. So my family's from Belize. I am born and raised in a very urban um, area. Um, and so all those things kind of help to have me navigate my lens in spaces. I can understand folks seeing my voice as something important because I'm a doctoral student. And so I speak the language of academia. I use those types of inferences where, you know, folks in certain spaces wouldn't allow, you know, folks in the community to come into. And so I feel like my seat at the table is to stir things up, is to educate, hold people accountable, model and realize, too, that if I'm in a space, that doesn't mean I need to sit there forever. I think that's part of the work that I'm still working through is like I, that seat is, doesn't belong to me. Right. If I got in the, in the room, pulled up the table, what are we doing? And if I have to create a table, right, the mm-hmm. creation of it isn't me saying what well, I'm trying to be a savior for my community. I don't want to operate out of that. I want the community to be able to do the work that we've been doing for generations, right? Beyond just our experience around shadow slavery, like I want us to do that. When it comes to health equity, I really think about how are we creating, building bridges to create more access. There's a lot of folks left behind. I think COVID has given us a a big mirror of how does this work and how it's not for a lot of people Um, when we bring up you know black maternal and infant mortality it's not working for certain communities and so my big piece is accountability and it's going to be uncomfortable I'm going to say things that you know stir the pot but it needs to be said we can't sugarcoat it anymore we can't make it comfortable for people like people are dying right like at this point this is life and death we can't make it make it look pretty with a bow on it anymore.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like any conversation when the goal is progress, is it has to be uncomfortable. There has to be a little bit of uncomfort there, and that's just the name of the game. If if there isn't any, you're not really making progress. Progress, especially around some of the the work you're doing, and you're making you know, with with the doula work and being more equitable for people of color or anyone who wants a doula to be able to uh have access to that. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what you know, what was your interest? What got you interested in becoming a doula and, and what inspired you uh to keep on with that path, not only doing the work, but but spreading the message of the importance of having a doula?
0: Yeah. So I I mean I take the I take that question back to grade school. I wanted to be an OB. Um, I was terrible at math and didn't receive a lot of support in my dreams of going to medical school. I ended up going to school for journalism, um, but it still worked out, right? <laughs> Obviously, but that was my. I loved watching Baby Story. I don't know if you remember that show. Oh no, Baby ago. Story. Oh my God, baby story was like my favorite show to watch. These watching these families, you know, on their journey towards, pre- you know, in their pregnancy to have giving birth. I just loved everything about all of it. I didn't want my own kids at the time, but I was like, oh my God, I love this. So we went <laughs> to Iowa back in 2016, I got married and of course, you know, you hit a certain age and folks talk, you know, oh, you're married. So let's start talking about children. And we weren't really there yet, but I was like, this is interesting conversation. I'm like, guess I'm a maternal age. Mm. Um, and I realized very quickly as a Black woman navigating health in general in Iowa, as I was a healthcare desert, that I really didn't have a ton of options. And so knowing me, wanting to research and learn more, I started to see so so many issues around Black maternal health and 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 what that all is wrapped up in, and um, I was like, "Okay, what are my next things? I was doing violence prevention work at Iowa State, you know already knee deep in reproductive justice um and so I was going to go to nursing school at dmac, like literally went to orientation, mm. and was like, this is not it right i, I was <laughs> people like this is this can't be it, this can't be the only route like this don't feel right." And I found the National Black Doula Association. Don't ask me how, but Tracy popped up on my news feed, Tracy Collins. And I fell in love with all her lives and how real and raw and just direct she was about who we are as Black people, as Black agents for change, right? Like she was really about it. And I was like, man, you down in Atlanta, how am I going to get down there? (laughs) I was like at a crossroads with my own mental health at the time. So I tell people, I tell people the story of, I cut all my hair off because I was natural for like a few years and it was just not working. Cut all my hair off, went down to Atlanta for a weekend. I told my partner, I said, I need to become a doula. And he was like, all right. I was like, I'm glad he didn't say anything other than, all right. (laughs) And every night after training, I sat at a Waffle House and I just cried because what. Mm. I didn't realize was how undone I was becoming as like a black person. The unlearning I was experiencing just over that weekend, she was doing so much mending of me as a human, as a black person that I was not ready for. And it took me a couple of months before I said to the world, I'm a doula because I got my training in September I didn't start taking clients till that January and I was like no one's going to hire me. I'm a new doula, I'm a black woman. Like who's going to hire me? And then COVID hit. But I was able to attend all my births thankfully. Um it was touch and go for the for that time being, but all of them were beautiful. I found my first client um at a barber shop. Such a black thing, right? Um, <laughs> And uh, you know, it was it was been it's been magical since then. And I I think about all the hard births I've experienced with families, all the butter births, the ones that are easy, baby just slips out, right? Mm-hmm. And all the in-betweens. And what keeps me going is is one of the births that I, I share often. Mom was, you know, on her hands and knees. That's commonly what we we hope people push in. Um, it creates more room in the pelvis and so um, she couldn't really see anything so baby's coming out and baby comes out and baby's not breathing and there was just this intuition in my mind to tell her mm. to call her baby's name so I looked at her and I was like call call your baby's name and she looked at me like I was crazy and you know the nurses and all that are trying to revive baby shake her a little bit you know uh, rub her back those types of things to get her to cough up baby's just just limp and i was like name and she calls her i said i need you to say it louder and she screamed her baby's name and that baby's life just she just woke up
1: Ooh,
0: powerful thing i've ever experienced in my life um and i'm like that's what we do right like Mm. we don't want to get to that place because that's not a place you want to be but like what we do as doulas. And I'm like, that's what gets me to keep going and keep thinking about how do we spread more education? How do I do more learning? How do we, you know, increase the doulas in 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 our communities, right? Like how do I share, like you said, this message of the work and between the bonds with the families. I mean, I become auntie. Like it's just it's just a powerful experience. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world and, and knowing that I can help and support life coming into this world in such a very unique, a unique way.
1: Right. Wow. That's a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Walk me through that, that process, Jasmine, of you empowering the the women from, you know, their pregnancy to labor, to postpartum walk me through that what what for those that people who may not even have heard of a doula until they've heard your voice on this podcast what does that look like
0: yeah so you know i i must speak from a research lens the the earlier we see you the better right when you really Mm -hmm. think about intervention and preparing the body like we want to see you early and, and the disparities particularly amongst the black community or you know Communities of color, we we often are not going to the doctor early enough to really get those those options. And so, with a doula, um, we commonly hope to see you around your twenty week mark. I, I mean, I get a lot of clients that are sitting at eight weeks sometimes. Mm. But we really talk through, you know, big thing is doula work in general. They ask me, what exactly can you do for me? And I say, I do things with you, right? I think that that's key. Um, as far as health efficacy, I want you to feel powered, not empowered, but powered to to really take ownership of your health journey. And so with doula work, we provide physical, emotional, spiritual um support to families. So um we are non-medical providers. So that's the difference between us and midwives. I know we get a lot of questions and confusion about that. I don't catch mm-hmm. babies. <laughs> 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 I mean I've caught one because <laughs> baby was falling out right and I my arm was there and again intuition right. just told me stick your arm out, right? right. But
1: you had, so, you had the Randy Moss baby real quick.
0: They're real quick. Real quick, real <laughs> quick. Um, So part of that is having you build your birth team. So once you hire me, we're really thinking about what birth experience you want to have. Commonly people um, are having to do um, medical uh, births. So they're going to some type of hospital or clinic for care. Um, If you're trying to do um, non-hospitals. So that would be more private midwifery practices. Um, That's an option too. We talk about like your family. I love when families show up to meetings, consultations, because if it's your partner, your parents, all those folks are your network of support. So we're really just building up that support. Afterwards, we're diving deep in your preferences. And I specifically use the word preference because when you say plan it's as if birth is planned and manageable Mm. and like that's what western medicine is about is managing and i'm like we can't manage your birth we can hope for the best, we can have these preferences, we can do this knowledge, we can do this additional work. But let's talk about, you know, from the time you go into labor, what does that mean? What are your pain management options? What are your comfort measures? What are your options for feeding? Uh, What is your postpartum plan looking like? Who's your pediatrician? Who's your OB, right? Like we're really going through all these different layers. I'm explaining the difference between an OB group and a midwife group. And yeah, I think, I think what we think about like outcomes, right. So I talk about with families during consultations, if they're unsure, I'm like, you know, doulas have really good birthing outcomes for families. We, lower rates of cesareans, lower rates of pain management. We increase burning outcomes for parent and baby. We increase feeding rates, you know, specifically if you're trying to do any chest feeding or any type of just um, breastfeeding, those types of things. Um, we're, we're there for your labor and your delivery. So we're staying with you through that entire process and helping to navigate anything that comes up. Uh, And we stay in your postpartum. So as you're recovering, you know, baby's latching, those types of things. We do a lot of this follow up. People don't realize like after you have a baby, you're not seeing your doctor for like six weeks. Everything is focused on your child. Mm-hmm. and you know between blood pressure and and postpartum depression like doulas catch all of those things cuz they're asking the questions we're doing home visits we're you know connecting with your families right i'm on group chats with families sometimes and they're like so and so going in right now and i'm like what's happening what y'all talking mm-hmm. about <laughs> um, we we become family and i think uh, particularly as Black doulas, and I use that language specifically because that's where this doula work kind of derived from. Is that it's a cultural thing? There's so much to this work that we don't have to. We we could just connect as people. So I can ask those hard questions. I can have that conversation. I understand your background, right? I I I, I can. I can connect with you in a, in a different way than your provider can. I'm on, you're texting me, you're calling me, you're sharing things. I'm holding you accountable. Right. Um, you of things that you have to get done because you know a lot of folks when babies you know they're like i'm pregnant all right when's the baby shower when's the 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 um the gender reveal right, right. like the I, fun stuff so right like and it's supposed to be fun and i try mm-hmm. to remind people like have fun with it i want them to pray and meditate right to your baby go to that chiropractor all these other things that you you know have options for Connecting the referrals, I think, is a big thing. Are we, I think you went dark.
1: Oh, yeah. Some, I forgot to, let me pause it real quick.
0: So, you know, we're, we're preparing families for the big day and afterwards. That's really our goal is to make sure that they feel like they're aware of all of the things that they have available to them. And being able to be resourceful and use them. Because it's just a lot. It's, you know, a lot of people don't know what to expect with birth. They may have attended someone's birth or they may have, you know, watched videos. But like, what is your birth going to be like? And there's just a lot of unsurety and, you know, fear. Um, Some people don't even know about the Black maternal mortality, but they are experiencing something from their provider that makes them feel unheard. They don't know what questions to ask. So we're really just working through that. And and you, for, and depend on the program or the doula, you're, you have your doula six weeks to 12 weeks postpartum.
1: Right. Can we, it, it sounds, for one, it sounds like to me, being a, a, a doula is a lot of work. <laughs> like just the, <laughs> the, I can only imagine, I'm sure you will know more than I do, but the mental exhaustion of having to you're you're taking the the mental state of your your patient like you're you're almost giving birth with them without the baby mm-hmm. like you're going through that experience with the family and having to be that voice for the for the mother be the voice for the family maybe at times and having to i'm sure there are times where they're telling you things that they refuse to tell their provider or they don't know how to tell their provider or they are afraid to tell their provider and you're having to deal with all of that what is that like mentally for you to go to go through from hey jasmine i'm pregnant to baby
0: yeah for me as a doula
1: <laughs> yes
0: Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness. I think if you talk to me my first year, I'm like, yo, I got to manage these eight people every six months. And Lord forbid I get more because I think what people don't realize. And I can't speak for every doula, but we don't have, we're not afforded the ability to just quit our jobs. So we're managing life, Mm
1: -hmm. full-time
0: jobs and being a full-time doula. There's no such thing as a part-time doula that I just can't even wrap my head around that. And so we're work we're connecting with our families weekly the random phone calls because of a emergency or a concern that showed up on their test results. Right. Like we're taking in a lot. And so it, it does feel like a lot. It feels like, it feels like a weight, And I think I use, I, I make sure that I don't take in everyone's experiences. Like you said, take on, I don't take it in. I don't absorb it because that would right. that would be a lot to handle on top of my life, right? Right. Um, and so I acknowledge that this is where they're at. I, you know, I ask them how are they feeling about this news? What do they think their next steps are? And that's what that that power comes from is like I I I see myself as a sounding board. I'm not meant to call on their behalf unless something is really happening that's rare that i've ever had to do that we brainstorm what next steps are and so there feels like a release oftentimes after a a call but sometimes like there is no release that there really is you know something going on and we're having to navigate this oftentimes and for my clients and and i would and i say that this is complicated right because right. every doula has a certain type of client that that it that is attracted to them So for me, I have a lot of high risk clients um, navigating mental health. Sometimes they're um, much older. um, And so we're talking about like navigating the awful words of geriatric pregnancy. So like Mm. having to navigate those things. I have a lot of folks that are larger in size. And so they're having to navigate conversations around nutrition and diabetes, right? Like all gestational diabetes. And so I do have to manage um, a lot of different complicated scenarios, but that's, I think part of that work is me taking care of me. And I think that's what was instilled in me during my doula training was how do I take care of me? So I actively get massages. I meditate. I do yoga. um, I have a network of support of doulas that I rely on. I have a network of friends and family I rely on. I really try and practice self preservation. I don't like self care. Self care is expensive because um, mm. <laughs> uh, that means I gotta catch trips and flights. Right? Like if right. I really like self care, I'm like that. Don't mean I'm I'm here, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But self preservation, like how do I manage my schedule? How do I say no? How do I, you know, like you said, wake up in the morning and and know my why? Like all of those things are preserving me. Right, I'm sure that that's there, and so it's it's fulfilling work. It has a high burnout rate. I think uh, four to five years, I believe, was the last research that I saw. Um, but it's because we oftentimes lack community, so needing a backup, needing people that are a resource for you and in, in your proximity of your home. Life changing circumstances, right to um, financial instability, so. Um, this is a business that uh, we we try and make sure that folks understand you can make money and feed your family and provide for your family through this work and how do you make sure that that's a possibility? like we have tools and things like that that we have to buy throughout the year, but commonly this can be income for you. And so how do you make sure to 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 get that? And I think that's what's beautiful about community doula work because it just repurposes funding in communities of need. So you're not only, you know, investing in work for the family, but you're investing in work for the doula who then also invests work for other people in in their, in their community. So it's really buying black back, right. In a way, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think you keep things in a perspective. There are hard births. I mean, I've, I've cried over Spurts have sat with me. I, I've had a, a few hard ones that was like, should I still even be doing this? I didn't, I could have did this different. Right. But you really try not to let it rock you as much.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're, they're the, they're the good days. And there are the days where everything's just raining down on you. And there's only so much you, you can, you can take. Mm-hmm. You brought up two different things that Stood out to me where, you know, that I would like to kind of talk about a little bit further is, you know, the mortality rates and kind of what those are, but also the, with the mortality rates and, you know, this being kind of a, a income source for those who want to do this service,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that kind of shows the the benefit of why this should be something that is maybe billable or something that, you know, you can do that through insurance, one can one can you it's kind of a a long big question so i apologize but one can you can you talk more about those mort- uh, mortality rates and like what those are and what that looks like and the benefits that doulas bring to decreasing the mm-hmm. loss of children right. and where are we at with this being something that is billable
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I'll I'll put my research hat on here. Um, I think about just the genesis of healthcare in our country. Uh, If you really think about what was happening when this country was founded, right? Air quotes. Pretty much particularly with black bodies, it was meant for it to be a commodity. It's a source for income for plantation owners, right? Um, so having the black woman have more children and then creating policies and, and laws that would say her children would also then be enslaved. Like this this is the this was the intent and purpose, right? This is this is where it started that was never that was never a positive experience and with the doctors experimenting on black women without any any anesthesia even though anesthesia existed you know from hos you know these providers medical um models of care really thinking about black folks not having higher levels of pain you know thinking about social determinants of health. So like the risk itself of being black in this country and and the environment, the, you know, from transportation to housing, to education, all those things are layers and layers on top of things. So I always talk about that being present when something starts, right? We think about the big bang theory, whether you believe it or not, something explodes, happens, these planets exist. The same thing happens with black maternal care, it exploded and created a bodies, black bodies are for commodity. So anything other than that would justify it. So when black midwives were on plantations providing these levels of care for families from you know helping people give birth to uh, providing reproductive health, all of that continued through uh, the fifties and sixties, right? And depending on where you're looking at in this country, you see a dwindling of Black midwives existing because the next reality that happened was, well, they aren't, they're not good enough to do this. So we see Western medicine coming into another layer of evolution and saying, you all are dirty. Your education, your level of knowledge isn't good enough. You see a delegitimized Method of removing Black midwives who were providing care to poor rural communities and Black communities, Brown communities alike, in a lot of these um, areas across the country. So when you see the dele- you know them delegitimizing their knowledge, now we have Western medicine trying to manage. So you can look at history: maternal care is always about experimenting. Oh well, one. You know, one moment gas is good, and now we're realizing that it's creating this in children later on, so let's stop doing it. Or let's introduce formula, because this is happening, but now we're seeing this happen. So let's stop doing it. Right. It's always like this management it's never about centering how the body works. And so with black maternal care, we see across the country, uh, black women are three to four times likely to die of childbirth compared to the white counterparts. If you break that down into each state, right? Like Iowa, I believe, I believe it's eight to 10 times. Um, in other States it's 13. Right. So, and, and people see that number and they're like, well, what does that mean? Like, how does that work? Like, why are they dying at higher rates? A, it's because of our history. B, it's because of our medical model, right? We are not looking at the person. You are deemed high risk just because of your black skin. So like right when you check off the form that you're black, you're already a high risk. So we see low iron rates. We see premature births. We see Infant death, we see high rates of postpartum depression because no one's checking us. No one's checking in, no one's checking us, no one's really having conversations with us. Um, we're having to navigate um, people not taking additional care and hearing our concerns. I also tell folks like the higher income and education level you have as a Black woman, you see even higher rates of maternal death. Um, because we're talking back, right? We're saying this is not what I want to happen, and it becomes a very, ten- you know, contentious relationship at times. Um, and again, I don't center the fact that like Black people need to do this in order to navigate healthcare. It's healthcare needs to stop being biased. Healthcare needs to own their stuff. Healthcare needs to take accountability for the infrastructures that they have, for the ways in which someone comes in, says I'm pregnant gets these tests to the time that baby is here and getting this additional care. We don't have strong uh, policies around things like maternal leave in this country. Uh, We also see just the impacts. I mentioned social determinants of health, these health disparities that already commonly exist. These hospitals are not handling those things and they structurally can't, right? So then you're seeing all these community organizations having to invest and figure these things out, but really we're putting band-aids on things. We're trying to catch up, and and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of you know goodwill and 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 people really trying to do do the work. Um, I really think about there needing to be a three hundred and sixty model. So with communal doula support and having there be a strong relationship with providers and then additional service providers in the community. Us building a network of support to cocoon this parent is, it shows a strong, it shows strong birth outcomes. It shows positive outcomes. Because I also tell people talk to your parent about their birthing experience. Nine times out of 10, they're going to tell you that they had a very poor one, they had a decent one, it was okay. But I always get families saying, yeah, this happened to me. And then as you start to dive into it, they're like, yeah, this, this this, allowed me to connect with my baby. That was a conversation I had with my mother. Um, not really realize my mom had postpartum depression as a Black woman in Chicago. And then also having to navigate, you know, be, being a new citizen, right? All those things she mm-hmm. had to navigate. And no one asked. And that really, that really impacted her ability to bond with me and be with me in ways that would have really impacted my development, my sense of self, right? I'm 34 and we still talk about this, right? She's in her late fifties. So we see, we see just a cycle happen. So you have a negative birth experience and then your child ends up growing into these, growing in these areas. And then they, if no, no intervention is provided, have a negative birth experience. And we're just seeing generational trauma just being passed off. Mm. So it has to end somewhere, um, and even with infant, uh, Black infant mortality, we we're seeing, there was research done in California that says Black infants are more likely to survive if their pediatrician is Black. The question is why? Like, why does that, why does race matter so much? It's not race, it's culture. I think people get those two things confused. We're not trying to build a race war out here. Like, if anything, Black people were really trying to be like, can we just... Could we just not?
1: <laughs>
0: like we just, I think <laughs> right. we're just like, like we've been trying not to for like generations, and like right. Can we chill you a little,
1: little bit? bit,
0: like just a little bit, please, <laughs> thank you. um But you know, it's culture. There, we speak our we speak our language. We we know why we eat collard greens, right? And so, medical models have to get on on the train of not just looking at medical culture in this white centered way when you think about food and access and support like we're not all out here doing this one thing and you're an anomaly if you don't like everything has to be individualized it has to be taken into this case this situation this person this body this mom this baby this family right like this particular thing when you start to try and place this one type of thing on all families, you're going to see a big, a big issue. And I think doulas create that agitation, right? When I talked about agitation, doulas, us, us even being the space, I've seen a difference in the way doctors treat families because they know that they have a doula. If anything, I I hope that it is not a fear-mongering thing for providers, but I think it creates more accountability for a family to say, I have a doula. And you're like, oh, you see them just kind of Okay, let me let me walk you through all of this.
1: Right? Mm-hmm.
0: But it shouldn't be about that. It should be about I'm doing work for people. I took an oath. I tell doctors, I'm like, you took an oath. It says that you are here to serve people. When you start to build in your bias and not unravel it, this is where you miss things. You misinterpret things. You don't take extra care. You don't take extra steps, right? And then your attitude comes in. And then I'll be honest. I understand hospitals are overburdened. They, they, you know, a lot of these providers are carrying a lot of weight with these healthcare deserts. Like I totally get it. And also, there needs to be more investment in the community. we shouldn't be, you know, closing clinics. We shouldn't be closing birthing centers. Like that's not what we, we're doing. The reverse. We're going back in time when we are, when we are doing these things. And then on top of that, reproductive justice. Right. Who, who does who do these things impact the most? The folks at the very bottom. Right. Folks that already don't have the access and the resources. And now you're limiting scope and practice that impacts us because we are the last to be served and we're the last to be cared for.
1: Right. Ooh, yeah yes. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a whole lot. But I think you're doing great work. Where do you see the role of the doula in in the future? When you, when you in, envision that, and I know when we've had conversations, you we've had a, when we had that conversation. You talked a little bit about about the future of of doulas. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Where where do you see this profession going?
0: Yeah, I and a couple of things come to mind. So I'm in a I'm in the Morehouse uh, Perinatal Health Navigator program. Um, so it's primarily used for folks in the Atlanta area, but I was afforded an opportunity to join the program, and so we're learning how to be more embedded in the hospitals. Um, not in a way that we are beholden to the policies and the practices of the hospitals, but really learning a little bit more about how to be alongside the family. So not just looking at it from a scope of just, you know, birth, but how do we help folks in managing diabetes to anything that is an additional layer to their health care? Um, and how are they navigating their pharmacy experience and their medication? Right. Like being able to ask these questions a little bit more in depth, because as doulas, we're really, depending on the the training, you're really just looking at the process and experience of birth. But there's so much outside of that that we talk through that we need to know more about. I think that that is a really good model of practice. I think we see that with a lot of the organizations in the in the South and then in Southern California, with being a little bit more of this 360 model of care, I think we need to move towards medi- Medicare covering our support. Right, I, I didn't get to it a little bit, but for the fact that you know doulas are having to do this work, we should be compensated. You mentioned. This is a lot of work. Yeah, and and there's really no amount of money on the planet to make this feel better or to make this care for ourselves in a better way, but to be compensated adequately for the care that we provide our families is is really important. And it saves money. That's a big thing. Is doula save money. It saves federal and state dollars. And I wish people understood that. If you're talking about dollars and cents here, guess what? This is going to keep money in your pocket. Let's, Let's do it. This also, like keeping doula work at the community level. You see a lot of programs being built that don't have community doulas involved, that don't have that community level practice. And they start certifying and deciding on what level of education, what type of doula training, right? When you start to build on those types of barriers, those are barriers, right? Like those are our practice barriers to being able to provide care. And this just goes right back to delegitimizing of our knowledge. So they talk about things being black centered and black led when it comes to black maternal mortality, and I, I always put a little dab in there, a little spice of we need more direct entry midwifery practices like this nurse midwifery thing. I get it. It's cool. It makes sense for a lot of people. We need more midwifery groups, but these it's just not affordable for people to go private for their for their you know care if they so choose not to go to the hospital. We're looking at five to ten, twelve thousand dollars to get a <laughs> private midwife. Because direct entry midwives are not supported in the hospital. So we're really, really trying to do the work supporting the de- direct entry programs um, so that community people can have access. Because if I didn't go to nursing school or don't have a BA, I can't be a midwife. And that does not help me, my community. Uh, we see the same white faces across the board. And it doesn't resolve the issues that we need to have of having diversity, right? Right. Uh, to really just right. the needle. But those are the big things that I can think about.
1: No, that's good. That's, thank you for that. You know, Jasmine, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I, I truly appreciated your time. For those that are interested in learning more about you, I know you got some, I saw the, the new website and stuff that you got going on. You got some stuff popping right now. If anybody wants to just connect with you and learn more about you and what you're doing, where can they find you?
0: Yeah. So please connect with me on Rural Black Doula, all social media platforms, TikTok, to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook ruralblackdoula.co. We're having upcoming uh, community spaces. I'm really wanting to dive deeper into movement and healing. Um, Like we said, life is life in and I want our people to be well. And so going to be doing some yoga classes for the community coming up in February. Um, If you're interested in a doula, you identify as African-American in Iowa. uh, We do have a doula project um, that you can connect with. You get a doula for a no cost and there's doulas within, uh, four counties. So Polk, uh, Blackhawks, Scott, Scott, and Dubuque. So if you live in any of those areas, uh, or within any of those areas of, um, the county lines, like please reach out, um, and connect with a doula. Um, there's no, there's no wait time. Like you can connect with one right away. And the earlier, the better. But if you're needing one now, like, again, this is a great opportunity to move forward with doula work. But yeah, just just hit me up. I'm, I'm here to ask questions. If your organization, you know, would like a presentation to building, you know, centered support services, like I'm here for all of it. So thank you.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Again, Jasmine, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and everyone, thank you for listening to the Healthy Project podcast. I'll holler at you next time.